Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Laser cat t-shirts? Check. Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. And we're back. Um, sorry for the uh, for the technical issues. We um, <clears throat> the other show was only scheduled for 15 minutes for some reason, so uh, we've got this one from now until uh, 12:30 Eastern time. So uh, always fun to talk about Dolphin stuff, as mentioned before. Uh, I am Duke. Uh, I'm joined by the, the uh, producer James and uh, special guest host tonight, Jason Scott. So welcome, hey, guys. And, and uh, so now that we are back up and running, and the previous uh, edition that came on at ten o'clock, we discussed the uh, almost miracle play that Antonio Brown had at the end of the Steelers game. We talked a little bit about Charles Clay. And whether or not, uh, I think the show ended with us talking about whether or not he could get a Pro Bowl berth. So it's kind of a lead-in from that to this. I'm going to talk about a little bit more about what happened in the Steelers game uh, with some different players and everything. And another guy that I want to get to is is Daniel Thomas. Now, two weeks ago, the guy thought that, you know, we thought that the guy had a season-ending Ankle injury. His his season's over. More than likely, his Dolphins career is over. Then he, he t- misses a week. Then he comes back this week. Lamar Miller gets hurt with a concussion. It's all on Daniel Thomas. And I guarantee most Dolphins fans are like, "Oh crap!" There goes the running game. Yet he exploded for 105 yards on 16 carries with a huge 55-yard run late in the fourth quarter that set up the uh, uh, the go-ahead touchdown and eventually the game-winning touchdown. So, as much as you know, I'm not a big fan of Daniel Thomas, and I'm, I'm not buying that stock yet. I'm just not. Too many times I've seen it where he has a good game, looks like he's turning the corner, and yet he, he lets me down. So, guys, how do you feel about Daniel Thomas? Do you think this is – a step in the right direction, and 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 part of what makes me hope that is that he did some things this game that I haven't seen from him. You know, we've seen him run with a little bit of power earlier in the year, you know, breaking some tackles and things. It looked like this week or last week, whatever, that he he ran with with a little more vision. That he he saw open holes, he found the cutback lane, things like that that we hadn't seen. From him. So again, what do you guys think? Is Daniel Thomas is he is he taking that step forward? Um, I'll, I'll throw in my two. I'll throw in my two cents and let Jason go with the more. Yeah. You know me. I, I always have a short answer. My my. I'm still not sold, and I've seen too many snow games through the years where some big back 
some big plodding back came out and just blows away the other team in that sort of environment only to be back working stocking shelves at Home Depot, you know, next season. So I'm not I'm not sold based on that one game. And yeah, I'm Jason. not I'm not a big Daniel Thomas fan. I I don't think he's going to be anything more than a role player for this team. He's not going to be to me he's of the mold of like a Ronnie Brown where like you think the guy should be able to just run over everyone and for some reason he just doesn't have that in him. He wants to be a small back and doesn't run with conviction and I hate it. I hate it. I hate the way he runs. Um, yep. I think that he should, yeah. Yeah, he I, should I, stay I low. He should hit the hole. If he did that, and he's not I a guy that's gonna, perfect. And he, he's not, even though he's a bigger guy, he's not a a guy who's going to hit the pile and drive it forward two or three yards. That's just not his, his style. But he is once he gets to the second level, he is tougher for those linebackers to bring down. So, I mean. I agree that I think he, he's a role player at this point. And in my opinion, in order for me to buy that stock, in order for me to say that Daniel Thomas is can be a productive player going forward, he just has to do it consistently. I mean, we saw it earlier in the year. He had a couple of games where he ran hard, he ran tough, then disappeared. And, you know, he, he ran tough against a a – Old Steelers defense in the snow, like James said. So now we've got the Patriots. If he runs like that against the Patriots, well, they're not that good against the run anyway. But, you know, at least it's consecutive games. And then we go up against the Bills and the Jets, and if he can do that against them, which I think they have a little bit better run defense, then, yeah. you know, I would I would buy into it a little bit more. But that brings in another point. <laughs> you know, a lot of people – and by a lot of people, I mean a lot of people, do not like Jeff Ireland. Yeah. After watching that game, you know, we, we I've read stuff this week about how the Dolphins think Jimmy Wilson is becoming, a, you know, a, a key player. Daniel Thomas stepped up that game. Charles Clay stepped up that game. Looking back on it now, 2011 draft doesn't seem as bad as it once did, granted. I don't believe in Daniel Thomas, and so I'm, that's, in my opinion, is still a miss. But let's say he proves us wrong. You know, do you think that should, you know, and, and let, let's assume right for the moment that the Dolphins win and make the playoffs. That's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's say they win and make the playoffs. Do you think that looking at how these guys progressed, think that changes some minds about Jeff Ireland? Because remember, this was his first draft all by himself, no Bill Parcells. No, no crutch argument there. This is all on him. And Pouncey's Pouncey. I mean, he was a, you know, he was kind of a can't miss pick for his position. And everyone else seemed like, well, these guys are busts. I mean, you know, yet, you know, Charles Clay's turning into a playmaker. Jimmy Wilson's turning into a a, a key player on the defense. Um, Daniel Thomas may be stepping up. So, do you think if we continue winning, that people will start looking at that draft differently? 
I think and, and by, by looking at that draft, I mean looking at Jeff Ireland. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've always liked what Jeff Ireland's done in the draft. I think that uh, you know we kind of have the you know as as we watch the ESPN um, draft Knicks and all that, we kind of have a a weird way of thinking of drafts because you know you you look at these guys and their numbers to us. And what I see is, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, necessarily. I mean, these guys are pretty much all, you know, right around the same speed. You know, uh, receivers are, you know, 0.01 of a second difference between one and the other. They are all benching right around the same, you know. The thing that separates them is coaching and the system that they're in. And I think you have teams that continually draft at the bottom of the draft, and yet they're consistently putting out good teams because of the way that they the way that they develop those players. And I think what was missing before, you know, in Jeff Island's drafts is the development of those players and bringing them along to where, you know, they're not playing college ball anymore. They're they're adapting to the um, the thinking of the NFL because everyone is right around the same talent level. It's just do they can they can they do the thinking, and do they have the coaches that can get them to where they can be successful? So that's kind of how hey, I Chris? think of it. Yes, Chris, we we've got a call on the line, and he wanted to. Uh, Chime in his thoughts uh, on Daniel Thomas, uh, Dolphin fans for life. Okay. Um, welcome to the show. Hey, bud. How y'all doing today? We're hanging in there, man. Doing good. Well, um, as far as uh, the Daniel Thomas comments go, um, first things first, I mean, you got to look at the circumstances as far as, like, what he did, when he did it, and how he did it. First things first, I mean, nobody really thought he was going to come back by the Steelers game. Nobody. He suffered, I think it was a concussion, and some other injury. Um, Was it his leg? I don't remember. But regardless, he came back. You know, nobody really expected him to get any amount of playing time. Then Lamar Miller came in. He had a concussion. Then all of a sudden, he's just told, okay, he went from getting like maybe 10 to 15 reps to getting a few quarters worth of plays. Now all of a sudden, you have him, and he runs for 100 and some odd yards, a touchdown. Um, he's a key contributor on a 55-yard um, punch. And, you know, it almost makes you wish that he gets hit in the head every week. But, you know, I'm not really going to wish that on anybody. But, I mean, for him to come back and do that, that shows to me that at least he's taking a step forward. You know, yeah, and I, mean, I think I don't think with, with I don't think with Thomas the issue was ever <clears throat> well I don't want to say was never about the work work ethic because you know we did see 
uh, you know, from hard knocks. The field had to get down to him about you know, like a dress code or him being late to a meeting or some garbage like that. <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, I, I think they, they've made him – I think he's finally gotten to the point he understands, you know, this is work now. This is not just playing a game. I can't get by – you know, on athleticism, I can't get by. I have to actually put in hard work to get where I want to be. And I don't think that's a problem. I just, I question, you know, whether or not he can do this consistently because he's never really shown that either. And and there's some things about it. I mean, you know, he had the big run. And to me, he's never been that bad of an open field runner. He's not fast. But he's, for a guy that size, he's somewhat shifty. I mean, he can make people miss. But to me, it's just to, to be a good running back. You know, if if you don't have if you don't have great speed, if you don't have home run speed like a CJ Stiller, then you know you need to have you know you need to have good vision so that you can be able to get those you know pick up yards where they're where you, they're not there initially. And that's that's the problem I have with him is he's not that guy. I mean, we've seen him plenty of times, you know, run into the back of a blocker or run right into a tackle when there was a cutback lane that he could have taken. Now, this past game, he did. You know, he found some cutback lanes. He found some open area, which was shocking because, you know, that's not something I, you know, have seen from him on a regular basis. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe this is a, a point where he's, you know, maybe he maybe he's looking for the finer. To him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you're right, though. It was a big deal that he came back. Uh, he did injure... I believe it was an ankle injury, um, a foot or an ankle injury. I can't remember exactly which, but that he did come back two weeks after that happened when um, most people thought he was done for the year. And so that shows, number one, that he's, to me, is a team player because if he's in it for himself, he doesn't come back. Um and and to go out and play like he did, I think Mike Sherman said it this week that um, he didn't show up 100%, but he played like he was. So, you know, that's always encouraging. You know, you've got a guy, and even though he's not necessarily a veteran, he's been around, you know, been around longer than Miller, been around longer than Gillisley, or as the announcers on t- TV caught him, Gillisley, that, that bothered me a little bit. But... Um, the the thing about that is, you know, we talked about when Reggie Bush was brought in, how he was always the last guy off the field. And he was always out there working extra, catching balls off the jug machine or, or running with the sled or whatever. And you see a guy go out there with an injury that people thought was the end of the season, and he comes out and plays as hard as he did. He did what he did on the field. You know, some of these younger guys are going to take that. You know, some of these guys say, hey, if he can do that, if he's doing that, that I need to do that. And not necessarily put your body in danger where you're going to hurt yourself. You know, if you can't play, you can't play. But it encourages them, you know, hey, let's, you know, instead of, you know, I'm going to fight for that extra yard. I'm going to I'm going to put in this extra little bit of effort. And I, I agree with what Jason Scott said. I think that ultimately comes down to coaching. And when you look at, yeah, if the players start buying into stuff like that, then you've got, the, the coaching staff has, has done – uh, you know, that part of their job's pretty well. Yeah, and that's what I also think is the difference. You know, I, I think, you know, to chime in on another conversation um, y'all were having about the coaching staff 
um, and the and the 2011 draft. I think we're starting to see the difference. I think a big key of it was coaching. I mean, you know, I actually saw some people calling for Sperano to come back, and I was like, no, no, no. And the one thing you have in common with all of these guys is now they're getting a system in place to where they're playing in the same system for more than just a single season before something up and changes. I mean, you got to remember the entire time that Sperano was head coach, we had a offensive coordinator change. Then we had a defensive coordinator change. Then we had a special teams coordinator change within midseason, and nobody got a chance to sit there and learn, you know, the same techniques, the same this, the same that. I mean, I think ultimately that's the difference in between what we're seeing and. I mean, I, I, I often sit there and I wonder where the heck did the three-year progression go? I mean, people used to sit there and say, oh, it'll take three years to see what we actually have from a coach, I mean, from a player. And nowadays, oh, first through, first through third round, they got to be an immediate impact player or else it's a crappy draft. And that's, I mean, I, I don't know where that idea came up. I mean, you have a few players that do it, but they're usually brought on to teams where they're specifically made to, you know, become a better person. Like, for instance, what's his name? Um, Pat, 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 Patterson? Cordell mm-hmm. Patterson? From, mm-hmm. uh, the Cordell Patterson. I mean, look, you have Andre Johnson on the other side. Everybody knows Andre Johnson. They're going to sit there. They're going to cover Andre Johnson. They're going to double to him. They're going to do this. Now, you do that, we see it on our own team, bringing Wallace in. They double-team him constantly. Why? Because he's the known quantity that leaves people like Hartline and, you know, um, everybody else. And, you know, to me, I've always thought that, you know, looking on paper, the drafts that Ireland produced were much better than he got credit for. But we just never really got the time in to actually see it. And now we're actually starting to see, like with the Daniel Thomas, the Jimmy Wilsons. I mean, Jimmy Wilson is almost ready to set a freaking special teams record. And he's a seventh-round pick. You know, and, and I think one thing about him that gets underrated is he's actually turned into a, a fairly good uh, slot corner. And – Earlier in the year, when when if you said Jimmy Wilson's playing slot corner, it was one of those oh no moments. Same thing with Nolan Carroll playing significant minutes. Yet I think Pro Football Focus has Jimmy Wilson rated 45th out of all cornerbacks. And we think there are two starting quarterback cornerbacks on each team, and he's not a starting cornerback. He's actually rating rating better than some teams' starting corners um, playing yeah. in the slot. So. He's coming on, and I, and I see where you're. I see what you're saying there, and I kind of agree with you. And I think the biggest issue, and and a lot of fans will not agree with it because of, of where we were, you know, since 2008. But it's really and truly, it's all about the quarterback. And if you look at, I look at the 2010 Miami Dolphins. You had Brandon Marshall. You had talent. Um, you had some, um. You had, you had, I think this team had enough talent to 
to win, uh, to make the playoffs. And the reason they didn't was because the quarterback wasn't good enough. And I think that's part of the reason why people want to coach and change or they want something else is just because, you know, I mean, you've got to look at look at look at a guy like Von Miller, okay? Um, you know, people look at him because, and I, I'm using him because a lot of people look at Deion Jordan. He's the number three overall pick, and he only has two sacks this year. He plays very sparingly. He plays special teams. You know, not something you expect from a, a number three overall pick. Yet, you know, people are like, well, he, if he doesn't get so many sacks, then he's a bust. Uh, look at what Von Miller did, and they'll use that excuse. But here's the difference, okay? Look at what Von Miller did in his first year. Yeah, he had a bunch of sacks. The team went 8-8 eight and eight and made the playoffs because that division was crappy. The second year in the league, they bring Peyton Manning in, who's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So while his statistics look good, like you said, he was put in a position to succeed because of everything else. Whereas you look at a guy like Deion Jordan who was brought in, let's say we brought in Deion Jordan, but we had Aaron Rodgers as our quarterback. Well, yeah, we could use him in various ways, and he might, I mean, they might still use him sparingly like they do. But people say, oh, we're winning games, they can develop. I think the difference there is that Miami is not a team that you would look at immediately and say, yeah, they, they have the time to develop players. The Patriots can develop players. Um, you know, these teams that constantly win, they can develop players. It's teams like the Dolphins and, you know, teams like Jacksonville or whoever else that are, that are not, you know, perennial uh, playoff teams that aren't, that aren't perennial contenders that people, they want something now. And I think the problem, especially here, is that we started a complete rebuild in 2008 and it failed. I mean, it just failed. But the one guy who was confident was Jeff Ireland, and so people like, he's still here even after he failed. What makes us think he's going to change now? And in my opinion, that all comes down to Ryan Tannehill. I mean, if Ryan Tannehill plays great the rest of the year, this team makes the playoffs. You know, do you think anybody, let's say he, he does and becomes a franchise quarterback, and we become a perennial contender because of Ryan Tannehill. I don't think anybody's going to care that, that Jeff Island drafted Clyde Gates in 2011. Oh, you'll you'll still you'll still hear it because people people will. People, I, I agree that people will, but I think it becomes less of a thing because nobody really talks about. Look at all the the receivers that the Patriots have drafted over the years that have that have busted. Why? Because Tom Brady. So I mean, if if, if Ryan Tannehill can lead this team and be that quarterback, and Miami can win games, let's say we're a ten win team for the rest of his career, at least ten wins. Nobody's going to care. I mean, I don't think people are going to care that much that you miss on draft picks just because of quarterback position. Well, I think personally it's just a matter of, you know, and I'm, one of the main reasons why I like Jeff Ireland's drafts is because of the simple fact that he goes for diversity. I mean, almost every single player that you can pick up and look at and just focus on, like, for instance, Mike Pouncey. If you ask him to play left guard, he could play left guard. If you ask him to play right guard, he could play right guard. You ask him to play center, nobody even thought he was going to be a center in the league, and now he's one of the best centers in the league. You know, um, look at John Jerry. He's been asked to play right tackle. He's been asked to play left tackle. You know, all in all, and I mean, like even Tannehill. Say, for instance, Brandon Fields go down. Nobody actually knows this, but actually Tannehill has actually played punter in college. 
you know, he actually did punt a few times in college. When he started out in high school, he was a defensive back. No matter what you ask him to do, if you ask him to sit there and say, hey, you know, um, we're mighty thin on cornerback. I know you play quarterback. Um, we have Matt Moore. I need you to play defensive back. Guess what? He can play defensive back. He can play wide receiver. He can play this. He can play that. You ask Daniel Thomas to move to tight end for a little bit. He can do that. You know, maybe not very well, but he can do that. You know, that's... Yeah, I, think, yeah, I agree. I think versatility is is key there. And, I mean, I, I think part of that, you know, part of what I think people have issues with is just depth. I mean, we look at people say, well, we're not a talented enough team. But I think we are. Um, you know, it's just you see a team like the Patriots, and, you know, they lose... You know, look at how they've lost players to injury, yet they still seem to win. And again, though, it, it all comes back to the um, to the quarterback stuff. But uh, the we lose players to now, injury. We lose players yeah. to injury and to going crazy, and we're still winning. We've won actually three out of four, or four out of five. One of the one of the two. So I mean, we're actually still winning too. So where's that yeah. ball? But uh, I'm gonna let. Uh, I don't know if we have any other callers, but I'm going to let uh, James get you off there. But Dolphin Fan for Life, I thank you for calling. And uh, mm-hmm. have a good night, man. You too. See you later, man. And uh, now he, he, he does bring up some excellent points about coaching. And that's something that was brought up this week, I think, either on the Dolphins website or or uh, one of the other newspapers or whatever about how, let's say, Miami makes the playoffs. Is Coach Philbin a candidate for Coach of the Year? Because look at what this, he's brought this team through. I mean, there are plenty of teams that, you know, given the incognito Jonathan Martin mess, that would have collapsed and just tanked the season. Yeah, he's held this team together. And, and I think people – I think you need to get some credit for that. Um, Jason, what do you think about I, that? I think the thing that, that I like the most when I, when I learned about Philbin – was when he was in Green Bay, he uh, focused on the scout team, on getting the scout team right, giving the right look. Um, Because game day is all about not being surprised. And I think if we can prepare our players to, you know, know what they're going going to see game day, it kind of slows things down for them and allows them to use – their natural ability that they have. Whereas, you know, I think when Sperano was the coach, it was all going crazy because he he had no idea players ready to play. So, you know, they were just getting smacked, you know, left and right, didn't know what was happening. Whereas I think Philbin has the ability to bring the um, – bring the schoolroom to the game, you know, where they can see, you know, they see what's going on rather than being surprised by everything they see. And I think that's where Philbin shines is preparing them for the game. You know, I remember, you know, there were games where, where Sperano's team just showed like they had a lot of talent and stuff. um, But there were times where we just, we just got blown out in the beginning. Like, we didn't know what, what the hell was going on. And um, I've seen that less with Philbin. 
times where where we let things get away from us, but it's not like we come out and we don't know what's going on. You know? Yeah, and I think part of that, you know, you look at you look at every game the Dolphins have played this year, and every game has been has been close, and um, the Dolphins have been competitive in every game. The only game that really wasn't that close was the Saints game, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, that was just due to turnovers. I mean, that's not that's not a coaching fault. That you know, if you're turning the ball over, you know, you're going to lose games. But yeah. I mean, that that game was still within reach. Um, you know, late in the second, late in the first half, and had mm-hmm. we not turned the ball up, we could have had the lead going into halftime. I mean, we could have. There's a lot that could have happened there. So um, I'm not saying we could have won that game, but you know, in every game the Dolphins have been competitive, and I, and I, I agree with you that that was something that you didn't always see with the Sperano thing. And I think what Dolphin Fan for Life was talking about, and, and I think you're kind of hitting on too. I think you know, Fieldman is, is a is not a, a player's type coach like Sperano was. Sperano was a guy that was, you know, was a you know a raw raw guy that would get the team fired up, yell and scream and you know, fist pump. We always make fun of that, but you know, you see him animated on the sidelines, jumping around and, and doing it. That was the kind of guy he was, and he was kind of a he was kind of a guy that the players wanted to follow. But he just wasn't necessarily a good coach. And like you were saying, I don't think he would necessarily put the team in the best position to win all the time. I think I think that when you look at Philbin, he's he, he's a quiet, more reserved type guy that when, when you watch the way he coached, you know, we all saw him on hard knocks and, I, and you kind of got the feeling like he just, you know, and I don't want to use the word timid, but he was just not very, you know, just like he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy you want to follow. Cerebral, I would say. Yeah, and now that you're you're seeing that Maybe just maybe this team is starting to buy into what he's selling, and see the team. The team's bought into Tony Sperano. You know the teams he had. They bought into what he said, but I just, you know, I just don't think the coaching was there for him. I think with Philbin, they're starting to be like, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy's a good coach, and we're going to fight for our coach. And when that happens, that's when you see, you know, guys stepping up and guys making plays. They they're wanting to win. And he's instilled that in him now, and I think you know his his approach is starting to win the locker room over, and I think that's a I think that's a a good thing. So yeah, and um, I, I uh, Dolphin fan for life was also talking about uh, lack of talent on the team, and I think you know uh, it takes years to build talent on a team. You know, we look at teams like the Patriots and we think, oh well. You know, they've got so much talent at different areas. Well, you know, some of the players that they drafted, Brady was 2000, Wilfork was, what, 2000 and something, years back. You know, whereas we don't have anyone on our team that was drafted prior to 2007. Everyone else, crap. You know, we've we've lost them. Um, you know, they're... You know, and we didn't have that continuity of building talent. We weren't getting the right guys. We were getting guys that, you know, redoing, you know, completely new systems and stuff like that. And um, I think, you know, I'm excited to see what we're going to come out of the draft with this next year. 
Because I think personally, if we go in and get offensive and defensive line, no one's going to like that, um, except probably me. But I think um, you get a guy like Daniel Thomas that's good on the second level but can't get past the first level to save his his life. Um, but if you give him the blocks where he's on that second level, the guy's going to be 10 yards carry, you know, where he's that kind of – he's kind of like um, he's not going to be flashy. I don't think he's ever going to be Adrian Peterson. Um, kind of player, but I see him as being um, the kind of player that's going to be durable and will give you the carries that you need to where you can switch him out with Lamar Miller and they can kind of offset each other. You know, and I, I, I will say as far as durability goes, you know, I think I think if we can get that running game going, it's going to be um, it's going to be really good for us. You know, yeah, if we go on the offensive line in the draft where we can run a hurry up with heavy, heavy on the running, like maybe two-thirds running and one-third passing, or, you know, maybe 50-50 where, you know, a good bit of that is just short, quick passes. And then you hit the seam routes and you hit the you you know you hit the fade routes and stuff like that to keep teams honest. We're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, that's um, you know, and, and at some point, you know, you, you just have to have these players step up. I mean, you know, you know, you want to run these these plays. You want to um, install the system, and guys have to turn it around. And I think that's what you're seeing. You hit on something there. This is a very young team. Um, I mean, Charles Clay is only 24 years old. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can stay healthy and he develops into a, um, I think one Dolphins writer referred to him as an elite tight end. I don't know how to put him there yet. But if he can, if he can, you know, continue to progress and become a top end tight end, top end uh, tight end like that, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a guy for you know, you can sign if you get him into a good contract. You've got a guy now that you can you know, let him and Ryan Tannehill play together for the next five to seven years. You know, yeah. you've got you've got that continuity. And that's what teams like the Patriots have that the Dolphins haven't had. It's just the continuity. And now that's supposedly what we're building and stuff. So hopefully these players will get that turned around and we can, you know, that's something that we can start to, you know, we can start to build around, you know, build around through the draft. We've got, we've got key players now. Um, and so, I, and I think you're right. I think we're going to go offensive line heavy in this draft. But one guy that I think that may have stepped up and would take a starting role next year, Sam Brenner. Um, he did not start this past week. He um, got the call after a, a few. Uh, I can't remember how many snaps that Nate Garner got, but he got the call after a while and finished the rest of the game at left guard. And I think played very well at left guard. And it's possible that this guy is another late round Jeff Ireland uh, or undrafted Jeff Ireland find here. And wouldn't that be wonderful if we could plug him in at left guard next season? Let's say he continues to progress and, and can develop into a starting left guard, that we could go ahead and fill that in. That's just one less need that we have to have. So, what do you think about Mr. Brenner? 
Um, I I'll be honest, I I didn't see much from him. Um, that's probably a good thing. Um, because we've been so bad on the offensive line. The fact that I didn't notice him is probably a good thing. Um, I'm surprised with as bad as Jeff Ireland is, supposedly, how many of those undrafted players he picks up on, how many late-round players he gets. You know, people don't realize that most teams, late-round players do not make it, you know, through their whole contract. Um, you know, I I did I went back and looked. Um, it was a while back, probably at the beginning of the season, and um, I looked at at Jeff Ireland's drafts, and all the way up until the seventh round, he's got players that you know, yeah, they weren't on Miami anymore, um, but they were their talent level was good enough that they were on another NFL team somewhere. So that's just to me, he's right on as far as selecting talent and getting players that, you know, granted, we couldn't fit them on the 53-man roster, but somebody else has them. You know, a guy like Donald Thomas that, that you can't really call him a bust, even though that was before Jeff Ireland's time. He's still playing for the Patriots, and he might even be starting now even. Um, but, but you know, back on the Sam Brenner thing, I think if he could play, I think that'd be great. Um, I I would love to see us get a dominant offensive line um, to where we didn't didn't have to worry about it. You know, um, the teams that do well consistently have good offensive lines and good defensive lines. Um, you look at Brady, how clean he stays every game. Um, the games that that he's not that that he gets hit, they're all disasters for him. And I think it just goes to show you how much um, how much can be said for keeping a player, you know, a quarterback upright. If you can keep a quarterback upright. All of them can throw the ball. You know, I mean, they're all talented at throwing the ball at that level. The question is, can you keep them upright? Can you coach them to where they know where to go with the ball? And can you get players that will catch the ball for them? You know, and, yeah. But I think Brenner, if Brenner can – I'll have to go back and look and see – Um what he did in the game because, you know, I didn't notice him. Which yeah, and could be a good thing. Yeah, and the one play that I really noticed him on was the the big run by Daniel Thomas. He he and Pouncey got out. Uh, they pulled on that play and both got uh, crucial blocks um, that opened up the running lane that Daniel Thomas found. So, I mean, you know. And that's something you know, that he's, a, he's an undersized guard. He's, he's a perfect zone blocking guard. He's not, you know, your John Jerry type. So, uh-huh. um you know, it's just, you know, I think right now the, the main position that they're going to have to address is the left tackle because right now the, the line is doing good, but that's because you have, uh, you know, Bryant McKinney over there. And, you know, they've already voided the second part of the, the rest of his contract. So he's a free agent after this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we haven't seen anybody get re-signed at this point. And I think someone mentioned in another thread 
that it's probably a a mandate from Stephen Ross because, you know, with all the stuff going on with Martin Incognito, with the way the season is going, it may be that um it may be that he doesn't want Jeff Island to start signing people because he doesn't know if Jeff Island's going to be back or not. But having said that, I think whoever, whether it's Island or someone else, whoever's in charge of general manager, I think they're going to have to take a look at, at Bryant McKinney and see if they can bring him back, at least on a short-term deal. Um, you know, just just in case you can't, let's say Miami, you know, makes a run in the playoffs and gets low in the first round when some of those better offensive tackles are off the board, you know, um, unless you want to trade up and get one, uh, you know, I, you know, I think they may be in a good position to get one right now, but you never can tell. So it may be a good idea to bring him back. But I think left tackle, um, you know, and, and let's be honest. I think Jake, I think Jake Long, had he been, had he stayed healthy, he would still be here. We know that. I mean, even though he would have been really expensive, um, he, you know, because he had that original contract, and he's going to want more than that. Um, I, you know, I think he would have been. Uh, I think he would have stayed here. I think they just didn't believe he's he's going to remain healthy. And he's played he's played every game this year, I believe, for the uh, for the Rams. But and he's rated highly by PFF. But it's one of those things: is he going to? How many more years is, is that going to happen? So, I think that uh, you've got. Uh, you know, I, I think they're going to look for another franchise left tackle out there. And I think that's what they're mainly going to address. You know, I, for some reason they still want Dallas Thomas to play tackle. And something tells me he's going to be our starting right tackle next year. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're going to try to rebuild the offensive and defensive lines, get those stronger, because they have some players in place now. And, you know, a lot of people want to go out and draft wide receivers, and I understand that, you know. And people talk about Mike Evans or, you know, uh, whoever else is out there. But realistically, we're not drafting a first-round wide receiver when you've got three highly paid wide receivers already on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got Mike Wallace making his big money. You're not replacing him next year. You've got Brian Hartline making good money, and he's playing well, so I mean, you're not taking him out of the lineup. Uh, Brandon Gibson was playing well before he got hurt. Um, Rashard Matthews has kind of stepped in. He's been less effective since the Tampa Bay game, but um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily because um, – they aren't using him. I think there's just more Tannehill's looking in other directions right now. Um, yeah. But you've got guys that you can build around that way. So get like I agree with you. Get the line strong. Get Ryan Tannehill well protected, and you know, then go from there. I'm more, I'm already I'm already told Keith. I'm, I'm starting the, uh, the I'm starting the uh, Doriel Green Beckham bandwagon for 2015. <laughs> That's the guy I want to draft. So <laughs> let's wait. Let's wait until 2015 to get our receiver. Um, and that's who I want to get. Good Lord, that would be awesome. Um, so that dude's beast. I watched him a little bit in the SEC championship game, and I thought, yeah, he, he needs to be in a Dolphins uniform. But, um, mm. but uh, yeah, so, and, and you know, and Hartline made that, that nice touchdown catch in the Pittsburgh game, and, and, and I want to bring that up a little bit. You know, a lot of people – he, he's not necessarily a fan favorite on the side. People talk about how he, you know he's and, he, and he's not a number one type receiver. He's not a flashy kind of guy. 
he's not a guy that's going to streak down the field, you know, scoring big plays all the time. But he's come up this year, and the main thing against him last year was they just didn't get in the end zone very much. I mean, he scored one touchdown. He had a couple that he dropped. Um, but, you know, he had 1,000 yards, uh, I think 80-plus catches, and just couldn't find the end zone. Well, now he's on pace to do another hundred to another 1,000-yard season. Um, mm-hmm. And now he's already got uh, four touchdowns and and can possibly build on that in the next few weeks. So, um, you know, it, who would have thought that that guy, when we draft him, would be the would be the you know, number one or primary weapon for Ryan Tannehill or for this team at this point in his career? I mean, it's just it's kind of hard to believe when you, when you look at the guy, but he just keeps getting it done. And something I read about him this week is it's just consistent. I mean, he just does his thing. And that, that touchdown catch, to me, epitomizes what Brian Hartline can do. He makes plays when he's called upon to make plays. I mean, you're not going to find another receiver in the NFL who's going to make that catch any better than what he did. And no. uh, that and, um, is a thing of beauty. Yeah, it was a great play, and that's what he does. And, you know... I love Heartline. I love having him around. Um, I've, you know, even when Marshall was around, I thought that um, Heartline could, you know, get get it done if we just gave him more opportunities. You know, and and it's good to see him doing that now. And I I like the fact that we have a guy like that around. Um, I think having it's all about building that talent base, you know, and it's one thing to have guys that are talented players, but mm-hmm. guys that are talented and work on top of that, that's gold. I mean, that's, that's where we start building that winning tradition. Talent in college, but when you get to the NFL, you've got to have something more than just talent. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like that we have guys like that around, um, and Heartline is never going to be Calvin Johnson. He's never going to be Julio Jones. Um, you know, but you need those guys that that are going to step up and make plays when you have to have a play. And that's what winning teams do. That's what winning winning teams have a full roster of those guys. Okay. You've got to have a full roster of those guys in order to go deep in the playoffs. And I think if you have guys like that on your team, that's the kind of they, – they spread that mentality to everyone around them. You know, like Grimes um, and like Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake, um, I, I heard him say something about how, um, you know, how – I I don't know. Um, mentioning how he had to work to get where he was at, and that he never forgets that he never forgets that that he's got to fight, he's got a chip on his shoulder even now, knowing that that you know that he's got to work harder. Um, you know he's got to keep working hard, and those are the kind of players that that turn us into a winning franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start getting a roster full of those players 
and getting them around, you know, first-round talent to where we can develop that in those, you know, those Deion Jordans where if he can develop that work ethic that Cameron Wake has and Cameron Wake rubs off on him, forget it. Because that guy is a freak of an athlete, and if you add, you know, if you can, if you can get him doing what Cameron Wake does, as far as the regiment, the daily regiment of of being an NFL player, if that's what he sees as, okay, this is what I need to do to be a Pro Bowler. This is what I need to do to be that good. Um, you know, that's where we, you know. That's where we stop being a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, think one, I think one guy that, that you know Cameron Wake has kind of rubbed off on is Olivier Vernon. And they talked mm-hmm. about how they mentioned you know how how they knew he was he was serious about getting better was when he was um, you know he was he was coming in to work out and watch film and do all that stuff after the season was over last year. He didn't you know go out and you know, take him a, a long vacation or do whatever. He came in and got back to work. He, he you know, he, he's meticulous about his diet uh, and the way he trains. And so you see this kind of, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that's one thing about Cameron Wake. I mean, I don't know how many people follow him on Twitter, but occasionally he'll he'll post a picture or something of his of his, his meal, and it's always some kind of health thing. And, and if you haven't aren't completely familiar with the Cameron Wake story, he did work at a gym prior to. Um, prior to uh, playing Canadian football, so um, he was he was already kind of a you know bodybuilder slash health nut kind of guy. So I think that's kind of rubbing off on some of these other guys, and they're saying, "Hey, look at what that guy did. I want to be like him." And Olivier Vernon's one of those guys, and he's fourth in the league in sacks. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. And having uh, guys like that, and having guys like Grimes, you know. Uh, Players like that, like I remember a few years back I heard um, a, about a story where Jason Taylor was catching the ball um, in warm-ups. And Channing Crowder sort of made fun of him. And he's like, well, I'm practicing um, practicing intercept, you know, intercepting the ball or some, something along that lines. You know, you practice those big plays like that. You know the thing with Grimes, with with he's constant. They're constantly stretching with the ball in their hand. You know you don't develop good hands. Just you know, I mean there's there's a few people that are just born with God given hands, and everyone else has to work at it. And Grimes just with the ball in his hand all the time. You know that's how you develop that kind of thing. And you know I think that you know. Players that like that that make plays train to make plays like that. You know, and I think having those kind of players around our guys, you know, the Cameron Wakes and the the Brent Grimes and even the Demetri Pattersons to a degree, and um, you know, I think that's going to just you know, and and Brian Hartline to a certain degree even, um, you know, and and even back when we had Reggie Bush. I think that, um, you know, I think having those kind of players around young players teaches them how to be professionals. Mm-hmm. 
And that kind of goes back to the offensive line, too. I mean, you you had, you know, the leader of the offensive line was Pouncey. He's still a young guy, but, I mean, he, he's, you know, kind of going doing his thing. You have Incognito was the, you know, a leader of the team, but you had guys like Martin, and you, you kind of had a young offensive line there for the most part, and then you've got uh, – you bring in a guy like Brian McKinney, and who uh, has seen just about everything you can see in the NFL. And he comes in, and the offensive line suddenly gets better, you know, um, I think yeah. from what I've read is that he some of the stuff he he knows some of the things. I mean, how many years has he played against uh, played against some of these these guys? I mean, how long was he in Baltimore? He was there a couple of seasons. I mean, he's played the Steelers a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, they he's played against the Patriots before. I mean, he knows the stuff. He kind of he kind of can see, you know, he he can look at some stuff and kind of knows what's going on there just because he's been there before. So, and, and I think that's helpful. You've got to have those veteran guys in there that can teach. And they've got to want to teach. I mean, I remember a story a couple of years ago, I think it was Will Allen, when he was here, said, you know, when he first came into the league, the veterans were like, give your playbook, rookie. And that's what they would tell him. They wouldn't try to help him out. Because, I mean, it's a it's a competitive business. I mean, you don't want to, you know, this young guy's drafted. You know, you don't want him to take your job. So, how much do you really want to help this guy if he's trying to, you know, take your starting spot? But at the same time, right. you know, I think we've got guys on this team, and especially when you've got guys that, you know, you're, you know they're not going to lose your job. I mean, I don't care how good Deion Jordan is. He's not replacing Cameron Wake. So no. you've got guys that you know that aren't that aren't in any kind of danger that can go out there and say, listen, you know, um, when you go up against this guy, he's going to make this move, but you need to counter with this, you know, try this or do this. And, you know, I think you – that's always necessary, and you're right. We've got some guys on the team, and I think they ha- they need to be, in my opinion. Grimes is one of those guys that you have to resign. I think he's a guy, even though he's not, you know, he, he's 30 years old, age. but he's a guy that you can build around. I mean, you give him a three-year right, contract, exactly. and, and you build around him, and you build that secondary around him. You let guys like Jamar Taylor and Will Davis. Uh, I mean, if if I was the defensive back coach, I'd say, listen. You need, I'll tell those young guys, you need to hang out with him. You need to be in his back pocket. Uh, whenever, whatever he, whatever he eats, you eat what he eats. Whatever he says, you do what he says. You know, you learn from him. Watch what he does. See how he does it. And you learn to play like that. Because, I mean, I think the guys that we have, Davis and Taylor, I think they have the talent to uh, to play like Grimes. So, um, I think we need to, I think we've got some, we've got some talent to build around. And so I'm going to I'm going to segue now into the because we are nearing the hour point of the show. Um, if you are still out there listening and you want to call in, let me get the number up again. The phone number is we're at three four seven three two six nine four six one. You can listen to us on the Watch uh, Radio link if you're following on the site. Um, let's get into the Patriots game. This is possibly the beast game of the week in the NFL in terms of what's at stake. I think from what I've read, this is the only this is the only matchup between um this is the only AFC matchup between winning teams and I think it's only the second matchup between teams with winning records overall because of the the Ravens and the, the Lions have winning winning records. So um I think Kevin posted on the site the other day that uh, CBS is broadcasting the Patriots-Dolphins game to 50% of the country. 
Um, wow. You got Jim Nance and Phil Stems going, and they're the uh, they're the marquee commentators. So obviously, people know this is a big game, and people are looking at the Patriots as vulnerable because Gronkowski's hurt. Um, and you know, you look at their numbers from Gronkowski was in there; they were scoring thirty points a game when he was out. They were scoring twenty points a game. So all this stuff, and then here the Dolphins come off a huge win in Pittsburgh. They throttled the Jets the week before last. You know, they've won three out of the last four. You know, this is they're they're pushing for the playoffs. So this is a huge game with with all kinds of with all kinds of ramifications here. Now, fortunately for the Dolphins, the the, the Chargers beat the Broncos last night on Thursday night football, which means if we lose this week. And the Ravens also lose this week. The Ravens will still have the tiebreaker because they lost to Detroit. And we would only own the tiebreaker if they lost to someone in their own conference. Weird kind of tiebreaker stuff. However, if we do end up in a three-team tie, Miami is going to end up with that tiebreaker because of the conference record. Because I, hopefully we can beat the Bills and the Jets. So, but <laughs> Miami has got a lot riding on this game. I mean, we the, the Dolphins did not go out spend you know all this money in free agency to beat teams like the Jets and the Steelers that are losing teams. They built this team for this game Sunday. So you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I've been doing a lot. Of, I was thinking about it a lot today, and. I was talking with a guy I work with. He's a big Panthers fan, and we were talking about, uh, of course, they play the Jets this week, so I asked him, I said, you know, is your team going to throttle the Jets this week? Uh, you know, beat them back into oblivion. So um, we were talking about that, and, and, and he got something, you know, we were talking about, well, now that the Patriots have, they have a chance at the number one overall seed. That's going to give them extra motivation, and they're going to want to play hard. And I got thing where I was like, you know what, I don't think so. I don't think that's how the Patriots are. You know, I think the Patriots – play every single game like it's a playoff game. Uh, I I don't think they're going to say, hey, let's play harder because we need that number one seed this week. I think they're going to play as hard as they're going to play every game regardless of what's on the line. So I don't want to say there's extra motivation there. The motivation is there, but I think they're going to bring it. I think the Dolphins are going to be extra motivated because this is a must-win game. And I think the Dolphins have to look at this as a playoff game. This is a win-or-go-home situation. Um, I honestly don't have a read on this game at all. Um, I mean, there are times I think the Dolphins can go out, they can lay it to the Patriots. And then there are times I think, man, this team's going to get beat so bad. I, I just don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of have mixed emotions on what I think is going to happen this week. And I'm never really good at trying to predict these things, but I, I don't know. What, what is your feel uh, what is your feel for this game? What, what are you kind of expecting to see? Well, um, obviously the Patriots are weaker. Um, I I want to see us go out there and set the tone. Um, I feel like last game, uh, the last Patriots game, we could have won. Um, I I feel like there were a few questionable calls, I thought, um, where they got the benefit of the doubt because they were the Patriots. And 
you know, it is what it is. Um, but I think that I think that this will be a step for us. I, I see this game as a stepping stone. Um, you know, this is going to be where we are this year. I mean, are we a playoff team? Do we deserve to be a playoff team? This Sunday will tell us whether or not we we can step up and play like a playoff team or for another year away. Um, that's kind of how I see this game. I'm I'm kind of – I don't have any expectations. I don't know, you know, what team we're going to come out and beat. Are we going to be the team that came out and beat the Bengals or are we going to be the team that came out and lost the Bills? You know, it really I, – I don't know. I mean um, – yeah, I think one of the key questions there that will could be answered this game is has Ryan Tannehill finally turned that corner? You know, I know we were talking some. Uh, I was actually listening to you talk, you and James talking before the show about you know wanting to see continued growth from Ryan Tannehill, and we're starting to see that he still makes some bad throws. Uh, yeah. The you know he he didn't read Troy Polamalu last week, and that that. You know that interception could have cost us the game. I mean, the the offense. Well, and that happens. Yeah, and, and that happens to players like Brady too. Yeah, I mean um, that's going to happen. I mean, you look at his first throw in the first game. You know, Demetri Patterson picked it off. It was behind the receiver, and Patterson picked it off. So, I mean, it happens to the best. But you know, are, are we going to see continued growth from Ryan Tannehill this week, is, is, or is he going to be that guy from the Bills game? Where you know he throws a pick six on the opening opening drive, he throws a, a, a crazy uh, floating duck end zone interception. Or are we going to see that guy that you know uh, picked apart part the jet, picked apart the the, the Steelers for the most part? Um, you know, so I, I think that's one of the key things we're looking for is you know a lot of these games get billed as quarterback versus quarterback, and you know they'll be the first to tell you well it's a team team effort and you know, I'm not actually playing against him, it's our you know, kind of stuff. But that's what that's what people want to look at. You know, people will know what to expect from Brady. Is Tan is Brian Tannehill going to be that guy to step up and can he lead his team down the field excuse me, can he lead his team down the field on a regular basis and score like we know Brady can do? So that's yeah. Does he have the killer what, instinct? Yeah, and I, I think that's what people are going to look for the most in this game because, you know, Omar has talked about before, you know, Ryan Tannehill needs to get a kill. Well, he's already got two come from behind wins this year that, that Omar gave him. He said he wanted to see three this year. So he earned a third one. Omar gave it to him Sunday for the, the, the game-winning touchdown. He said he, he earned it that week. Now, this is the perfect game for him to basically step up and say, I'm the, I'm the quarterback of the future for this division. Okay, because we don't know about E.J. Manuel. Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady's still Tom Brady. He's a Hall of Famer one day. But he's not going to be around forever. Gina Smith, not it. Okay. Nothing I've seen out of that guy isn't going to tell me that he's it anytime soon. So right now, it's there for the picking for Ryan Tannehill. And he looks the best out of of all the contenders. So, you know, this is a chance for him to showcase. You know what? I like Phil Sims said. You know, mentioned today that yes, I am the man. I'm going to. I'm leading this team to the playoffs. You know, he's going to have to be the guy to do that. 
you know, and I and I want to see them come out early. And I agree with Brian Hartline, his sentiment that they need to score at least 30 points to beat the Patriots. And I'm going to go even further, and I mentioned this today to, to one of my coworkers. I said, I think we have to literally have to score 28 points in the, in, the, in the first half. And I know that's some video game stuff, but I really would like to see that just because. I want to I think, do that to some team. I think you this know, is a team. This is a team that you have to. You can't just put them down on the ground. You know, you can't. You yeah, gotta you keep got them. to put on the throw. You have to keep it there until they stop wiggling. And then when they stop wiggling, you have to drive a stake through their heart to make sure they're dead. You cannot let them back up. And when we the Browns saw what happened when we let them back up, you know, controversial, you know, controversial calls, whatever. You just yeah, because they're going to get those team. calls. If it's a close game. They're going to get calls like that. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, our refs in our stadium um, hate our team. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, yeah, you, you can't let them you can't let them up. You know, if you've got them down, you have to keep them down. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's one thing that I really, really um, admire from the Patriots is they have that kill mentality. Like, if they can put 59 on you, they will. Why? Just because. Just because they know that you can't come back from 59. Yeah. And um, that's something that kind of bothered me in the last game, um, with that last drive, when when, uh, it was fourth and whatever, and and Roethlisberger uh, doesn't reach the first down marker, and then we get that penalty, and, you know, it's first and goal. And we run the ball three straight times. And I understand we're trying to kill some clock. But I touched down there in that game. It, you know, right, exactly. Antonio Brown can walk down the sideline all he wants to. All that does is make the score look better. Um, I would have liked to have seen a play-action rollout pass where Tannehill had the option to throw, run, or just fall down and let, let Sturgis kick it. So I agree with what you said earlier. I want to see the killer instinct from this team. Uh, and the coaching staff, but uh, sorry I interrupted. So sooner or later, if you give teams, yeah, if you give professional football players the opportunity to beat you, they'll find a way to do it. Yeah. They're all paid, and I think that that one of the things that the Patriots realized is, hey, everyone else is paid too. So if we get them down, we have the opportunity to step on their throat. We're going to step on their throat. And if we could put, if we've got, if we're down, if we're up 59, and we can put, you know, seven more on them, we'll do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're not afraid to score, you know, crazy numbers against another team. Um, they could care less what other people think about that. And, you know, you don't lose those games when you're up like that. Whereas if you give a, if, it, if you give a team, a chance where they can go down, score a touchdown, and beat you, you have opportunities to lose that game. Yeah. You know, sooner or later, somebody's going to make a play on that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and that comes down to, you know, execution. Uh, that comes down to, um, it comes down to a lot to coaching. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Patriots just have that, they, you know, they have one of the better coaches in the NFL. Uh, and so, if not the best coach in the NFL, and so he, you know, they know how to 
uh, best that knows how to find your weak point, exploit your weak points, and and prevent you from from uh, from recovering from that. So we have mm-hmm. to kind of do the same thing with them. We have to find their weak points, and right now their weak points is, you know, they can't stop the run very well. And if that means, you know, if that means Tannehill only throws the ball 15 times, whatever, you know, if we can run the ball effectively against them, and it keeps Tom Brady off the field, and it puts points on the board for us, then by all means do it. I think this coaching staff starting to come around a little bit. I think they're they're the play calling's better. I think uh, I didn't like some of the zone defense that they ran against Pittsburgh, and that may have been. Um, you know, that may have been a product of the weather. You know, just, you know, the, that our, we were better fit for those conditions to play zone. I don't know about that. But uh, I, I think overall that the, some of, of what we're seeing from the defense and the offense is becoming a little bit better. And, and the offensive line is playing better, so Tannehill's getting more time to throw. We've got guys like Clay that are stepping up and making big plays. So, you know, the Patriots right now, they're they're ripe for the picking. Um, yeah, we have an opportunity. I think we have a, we have a capable enough team of, of, of doing that. So, uh, one matchup this week that's going to be a big deal, and it was mentioned on a thread earlier today that I read is Shane Vereen, <laughs> who is uh, is becoming a receiving weapon more than a running weapon. Mm-hmm. And something I read this week, uh, something I read earlier today said that, um, you know, the Patriots are going to probably run a lot more three and four wide sets to try to get Marine against a linebacker or whatever. And if he's being covered, then they're going to start trying to run the ball from these receiver sets and, and just power the ball, um, gain yards that way. So they have they have weapons that they can use to exploit. I'm interested to see who we use to cover Vereen when he stepped, when he lines up in the backfield. Are we going to have a guy like Philip Wheeler and who has not been that great in coverage this year cover him? Are we going to stick our slot corner on Vereen? Is one of the safeties going to come up and cover him? What, you know, what are we going to do just to neutralize that weapon? We didn't do a very good job against Darren Sproles earlier in the year. Um, and well, they, had, they did have there. Jimmy Graham that we were worried about too, so – yeah, that, that's very true. But, you know, it just seems to me that this is one of these, we'll take Shane Marine away, but Danny Amendola has a career game kind of, kind of deal. So I'm hoping we can uh, <laughs> hoping we can just win at them a little bit. I mean, we did a good job in the, in the first, you know, we did a good job in the first game. We were up 17-3 to three at halftime. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I want to see, I want to see from our defense, I want to see our defense Get a team off the get them off the field on third down. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see third and nineteen, and they convert. They convert yeah. it. They they throw a twenty three yard pass. That drives me insane. Mm-hmm. I I can remember last game. You know, I was I was just I was yelling last game we went to. I was yelling like, "What am I on? Punked? Is this really happening?" We get third and whatever it is, and we we can't get a team off the field. And I think it was it was the Carolina game. Like damn it, we can't we can't get a team off the field when when they're third and whatever. It doesn't matter what it is because we can't get teams off the field. And if we do that this game, they're gonna kill us. Yeah, kill us. and that that is a big that is a big issue that the Dolphins faced. I mean, we've won the last couple of games and. 
I mean, the Pittsburgh game is different because, you know, the first half, pretty much early in the game, they did what they wanted to. Um, they converted third downs. In the second half, we kind of locked down a little bit. Uh, but they were 8 for 17 on third down. So they, um, you know, they, that's nearly 50%. So they converted a lot. Now, granted, a lot of those were were short yardage if they were able to, you know, where they were running the ball. But if we're giving up, you know, a 50% third down completion to the Patriots, we're not winning. So we're going to have to, to come off the field a little bit. Um, and, and and you're right, absolutely right on that. That's that, that's a key a key point. And you know, I don't know if that again, I don't know if last week was a product of just the weather and the type of plays because I think Rob, they said Roethlisberger was the only quarterback in the league last week who did not attempt to pass over the 15 or 20 yards. I can't remember. Every pass he threw was short. Whereas, you know, Tannehill really didn't attempt very many long ones. Uh, he hit the one of Charles Clay and he tried a couple of Wallace. But for the most part, he threw short too. So, you know, it may have just been – it seems like we can't defend screens. Um yeah. I, I don't know, but you're right on the third down. If we can get off the field, and I remember the Panthers game, we had a fourth and ten on our end of the field. I mean, we yeah. stopped them there. Wait, are you kidding me? We stopped them there. We get a field goal at least. We win that game. So, right. Uh, you know, but I, but I think the team is starting to come around. I think they're starting to. Well, if we had stopped them there, that would have been it. Yeah, and, and see, I think part if of the part of the them on fourth and ten, we win. Yeah, I mean, we that game's over. And I think part of the thing, too, is the offense. I mean, that was something we saw in, in this, this past game is, you know, when Paul Amalu scored that touchdown, it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, in the past we're like, well, we know how this game is going to turn out. And mm-hmm. what does Tannehill do the next drive? He goes down the field and scores. I mean, they score, you know, he drives us down the field and scores. On the, you know, it was one of those that, if our offense can do that, then I'm less worried about the third down stuff because that's mm-hmm. something we've had before. We couldn't get off the field on third down. And then when we got on the field, we couldn't stay on the field on third down. So right. I think, you know, sustaining drives on offense and limiting them on third down is going to be very key and crucial to this yeah. game. And I think part of that is going to be, you know, generating some pressure on Brady. And I think... You know, when we played him before, Wake was not 100%. I think he's getting close to 100%. And he's going up against a backup right tackle, so that's going to be an advantage for, for Miami. And I think they're going to need to exploit that. So, And I think we're going to see a lot more Deion Jordan in this game just because he can get after the passers. So. And don't be surprised if we don't see him on Shane Breen a couple of times. That would be interesting. So, all right, well, it's 12.15, and I think we've covered just about everything we can cover for the night. Do you have anything uh, about the upcoming game or anything else like that that you want to uh, bring up? No, no, we'll be there. Section 128. <laughs> so you're going to be at the game. You can bring us live reports. Um, that would be awesome. Um, right. I think Kevin is going to be there as well. Um, yeah. And so uh, we'll have a couple of live reporters at the game. Hopefully this will be a, a victory for the Dolphins. 
So I'm going to uh, I'm going to I think I just put it up to you. So I'm going to throw it around to James. Do you have anything, James, that you want to add? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm uh, just sitting here listening, man. Good deal. Uh, Dolphin fan for life. We thank you for calling. Uh, sorry that yeah, the man, show. Yeah, man. Thank was, you for thank you for coming coming on with us. Yeah, and sorry that the show got started later than usual. It was uh, the original show was. Only scheduled for 15 minutes, so we were able to bring it back. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of folks uh, actually enjoyed the show. So, uh, Jason Scott, I thank you for uh, for uh, coming on to the show and co-hosting with us. I appreciate your insight on on, on everything, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. I have. So, uh, let's go out there and let's hope the Dolphins can get a big win this week against a rival. It's going to be a big game. Uh, one of the biggest games the franchise has had in a long time. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those nerve-wracking games, and hopefully, it doesn't come down to a miracle play on fourth on, on, at the end of the game on fourth down like that again. I don't think I could handle that two weeks in a row. No. So, uh, having said that, uh, for James, Jason, and myself, hope you all have a good night and uh, have a good one. All right. Good night, guys. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speed after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about... Lawn care disasters. Regional grocery stores we love. Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.